morning. Hello, Namibia. How are you guys keeping today? Our listeners today is very excited to feature Hassan Lee, who is actually a, has very interesting stories to share. You know, from you know how he moved away from Asia into Africa and how he you know start his life journey in Africa and how he actually grown very successful business empire. So definitely looking forward to actually share with the audience. So yeah, I'm not going to actually take too much of the time. Hassan, how are you doing today? Morning, Jovi. How are you? Oh, I say on Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny of you. Yeah. So quickly, so what is the thing you are using? Actually, it look it looks like a super big microphone. From what I can see. Yeah, it's a a system that I bought in Taiwan. Uh, that allow me to sing karaoke on my phone. <laughs> karaoke is definitely an Asian thing. Eh? It's super popular in Asia. You know, I mean, I remember when I was chatting to one of my Japanese friends, and he was also sharing with me saying that karaoke is actually such a big thing in Asia. So you actually basically just recycle the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean karaoke is it's. Pretty big things in my life because in Namibia we don't have karaoke. Well, obviously, um, maybe one day I'll open a karaoke place. <laughs> you know, part part of your business empire plan, isn't it? That's very good. Actually. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, it is. Hassan, quickly. So you were born in Taiwan. Uh, yes, I was born in Taiwan in 1974, and 1987, and I immigrated to South Africa. Well, that time I would say uh, part of South Africa. It's called Southwest Africa. Okay. That time it's called Southwest Africa because Namibia in 1984 it's still uh, a province of South Africa. Really, I always under the impression Namibia is a separate country from South well, Africa. Time it was. No, you see what happened was that Namibia. Uh, well, let's say Southwest Africa was like a, a colony of Germany. So after the first World War, where uh, Germany lost the war, and UN took away. Uh, so let's say uh, Southwest Africa and give it to South Africa. You know, mm. South Africa took it in as like a, a province. So mm. yeah, that time, because when I, I remember when I was in school and a lot of my friends asked me, hey, where are you going? And I say, I, I don't know, South Africa maybe, you know. <laughs> But I mean, why Africa? Because I know most of Asians, you know, when it comes to immigration, they choose the like of America, Canada, Australia, UK, you name it. But why Africa? Well, my father always wanted to immigrate to America before. I mean, when we were young, we were given in, uh, a Chinese name and English name. Uh, my initial English name was Bruce, Bruce Lee. Oh, Bruce Lee, the famous martial art. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I was born a year after his death. 
Oh, but then, uh, okay. yeah. But then what happened was that uh, obviously when I, so when I was in the, uh, Namibia, I was, uh, my name was Bruce. I, I mean, I, actually at the moment, I still introduce myself as Bruce. But oh, okay. when, I when, when I immigrated to, uh, okay, now this, here comes a little, a little story that you see, when I was young and even though my name is Bruce and I did study martial arts, I, I did a couple of different martial arts. So when I was younger. And so I had this challenge every day in school where people really challenge you say, oh, okay, I'll see you after school, you know, and oh, stuff okay. like that. Yeah, so I got sick of it. So when I go to, in, no, when, when did I go to? I went to uh, South Africa in 1991. And I decided, no, I'm not going to be called Bruce because I, I don't want any challenges anymore. <laughs> so I named myself Hudson. Actually, yeah. that thing that is initially from the movie Hudson Hawk because that time Bruce Willis get the connection Bruce Willis Hudson Hawk. Okay, interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's so that how, that that's how you start your African journey. Actually, so you were in Namibia first, then you came to South Africa. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I I, I was in Namibia, and the reason why I was in Namibia is because my father. Uh, one of his cousins wants to sell a restaurant in Vintuk. And so we, we bought the restaurant and that's how we started with our immigration. Okay, okay. And then obviously you guys took over the restaurant. Yes, we started with the restaurant. So a Chinese restaurant. A Chinese restaurant. Because Chinese restaurant is actually very popular worldwide. I think in... Africa as well. I think more and more people are actually, you know, having um, much more likely acceptance of Chinese food. And just want to find out, you know, when you guys started, when you guys took over the restaurant, how was it? You know, was it profitable? Was it really getting the market traction? Or was it a rundown business? No, when we took over the restaurant, honestly, the restaurant itself, it was quite small. Okay, but you must just remember, we are talking about the 80s. 80s, uh, that time, let's say Southwest Africa, the population was very small. I mean, the city, the Vintuk itself was a very small place as well. So, and there wasn't any Chinese. There wasn't. There really? were one. Okay. Uh, no, yeah, when we came over, we were the, oh, except for my, my father's cousin, but obviously they were Taiwanese as well, except for their family, then it's our family. There wasn't oh, any other okay. Taiwanese family. There was zero Chinese in here. And then there were uh, two Korean brothers who also opened up uh, a Korean restaurant called uh, Seoul Restaurant. Okay. And there were one Japanese guy uh, a Japanese tailor. Uh, yeah, so he, he makes clothes. That's all. So it's a very, all the very small Asian population, actually, when you went to Namibia at that time. Very small. Yeah, okay. very small. All right. And so, 
talk about the restaurant because you were saying about the restaurant was very small. I presume because, yeah, the, that, because I mean that time, I mean the Chinese restaurant was still the fairly new concept when you guys took over. Yeah, the Chinese restaurant, uh, I mean, we're talking about the floor wise, it wasn't that big, okay? Couldn't accommodate uh, that many people. But the bar, our bar was one of the D bar in, because that time there wasn't really, uh, you know, there wasn't really like a, a club or something like that in Bentuk. So our bar was, was like it was it's got this this german atmosphere so you know all the interior was made out of like carved out of wood and stuff like that so that time we were actually making more money in the bar than the restaurant hmm. okay and what did you guys do with the restaurant did did you guys take over the restaurant and then upgrade it yeah we, yeah, we what what happened was that uh, we bought over the restaurant, but um, obviously we still rented from the, the landlord as well. And in two thousand, and what happened was that then uh, we stayed in the restaurant. Then in two thousand, we moved into our we we bought our own premises, uh, and we built we we built our own restaurant. Then we moved into the restaurant. Then the restaurant became much bigger. Yes. So from the running restaurant point of view, right? I mean, what are there some interesting story you can share? I'm, there must be some interesting <laughs> the stories, you know, from running a restaurant, you know, dealing with the difficult customer. How do you guys design on decide on what are the new menu items? So all those sort of things, maybe you can just share with the listeners as well. Well, with restaurants, it um, look, let's talk about Chinese food. Now Chinese food, it's classified into eight categories. Okay. Eight. And okay. okay. Yeah, eight categories. Obviously here, yeah, I'm not gonna mention all the names of that because, uh, but we're talking about, now they see uh, the easiest, one it's uh well on the top of the category it's the Cantonese food. Okay. And then obviously it because China has such a big variety. And one of our uh our let's say it actually depends on where you hire your chef. Okay. So our so our chef we we hire from a province called Hunan. Okay. And then the food it's called Xiang. It's called Xiang food, uh, which means that it's more spicy and it's got, it's more salty and spicy. And so it really depends on whenever you, let's say when you want to open up a restaurant, you have to actually know what, what kind of, um, let's say the taste that the locals would want. Hmm. And so our, our people here, we eat more of the meat you know, they and then they wanted more of the 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 spiciness and the, the saltiness and the sweetness. So okay. then we decided we got to shift from Xiang, Xiang food. Now, obviously, with the Cantonese food is more uh, Cantonese food is it's more light. You know, it's mm. more seafood. They they yeah. very they specialize in seafood, which is not going to work in Namibia because we are in a desert. 
So oh yeah, it's true. Hey, Namibia is actually in the desert area. Actually, I completely yeah. forgot so, about that one. Yeah, yeah. So we we kind of uh, we don't have such a variety of uh, you know so so much variety of seafood and stuff. But it really had to, depends on where you are. Like for example, uh, over here we we have we have big uh, meat eaters, especially beef. So number one is beef, and then. Uh, number two, I would say it's chicken, a little bit of lamb, and pork also quite a lot, quite a lot. You know why? Because the German likes the pork. Mm. And we, most of our, our uh, descendant heritage, they're from Germany's. Mm. Interesting. Eh? So what is the most popular dishes? What is the most popular one oh. from, from your restaurant, actually? Okay, the most popular one is sweet and sour chicken. Okay. Uh, chicken cashew nuts. Yeah. Sweet and sour pork. Yeah. Because I mean, they love sweet and sour thing. Uh, beef with oyster sauce. Okay, you know what? Just listen to what you're yeah. saying. It's already make me very mouth-watering. I'm hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so and... So those chefs, you would have to actually hire them from China, I presume, because we, based on what you're saying, this population is so small. How how did you get those professional chefs to come work for you? Okay, now we, no, what happened was that you, you contact uh, the they are the, let's say someone that, in the government, that is more like uh, the headhunters. So that, that you contact them, you say, okay, I'm looking for a chef, um, you know, the qualification. And you, you tell them, say, okay, how much are you offering? So they will, they will find a chef for you. Obviously, the Do you mean government or do you mean embassy? No, government in China. Oh. Those, the, yeah, the, they actually work for government okay. in China. All right. So it's like it's like a department of a government. Oh, they okay. they look they they yeah they will help um, the foreign company to look for, you know the the suitable position for their. That is in, new. In their I, own area. I didn't know about that. I'm sure the listener didn't know about this as well. So you were saying there is a sub department under government who actually help yes the business the like to actually find a suitable resource. Yes. A suitable okay. person, but you see the but the problem is that because those people they have to pay a fortune to the government, you know, to be, uh, let's say, to be selected. Uh, okay, interesting. And then, yeah, and then and then we then we go and, and and then obviously then you take a trip. They will get maybe ten or twenty people in place, and you take a trip and you go there and then you try everyone out and eventually you decide, you know, who to sign a contract with. Mm-hmm. So that is very interesting one. I want to unpack, right? Because I mean, you're talking about you dealing with labor outside of Africa. So you basically have to hire them from Asia mm -hmm. into Namibia. So logistically, right. how does it work? Obviously, you will have to provide them the accommodation and you know the the, the usual you know living you know expense etc. So how do you manage those people? I mean, do they go back home quite often or how does it work actually? 
No, it depends on how much contract. Like, for example, I usually sign, in the beginning, I sign two-year contract. But then eventually, then I decided, no, I'm going to sign a three-year contract. Three-year okay. contract is more suitable. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, all the flights, all the visa, you know, everything is on you that you had to supply them with. Okay. Yeah, obviously, uh, you, you, then I built like rooms on top of my restaurant, like a, a hostel for them. Hmm. So they, you know, they obviously, they were, you, you, you have to give them accommodation. Look, food-wise restaurant, you are, you make food already. Oh, yeah, so, true. Okay. And then, yeah. what if they're not performing? If they perform well, perfect, you know, but what if they're not performing well? If they don't perform, if they underperform, what do you do? Do you, do you sit down with them to actually talk through, you know, how can they... Yeah, improve? obvious. How does it work, actually? Obviously, you tried all your, what, all your means to, to sort them out, you understand? Because they, the last, really, the last option you want to do is to send them home. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's a lot of money that you invested. So when you, when you pick the person, you have to really do, you have to read through the person and make the right choice. Because it's not just about what they can do. It's about their personality. And it's mm. about, you know, if this person is either this person is the righteous man or is he a scaly dude, you don't, you never know. Mm. So that's, that's, that's one thing that you have to take a chance. Mm. Because, I mean, remember, when you go over there, you don't know them. But mm. out of all the chefs, I say, uh, most of my chefs, yeah, they, they turn out to be all right. Look, everybody will come here. In, I mean, I understand they come and they have to work in the kitchen. They have to work with a new different race, the locals. And for example, I've got two chefs in the kitchen. I have about between 11 to 15 uh, staff. Mm. So I have two, two chefs, but then obviously the race is all locals. Mm. So how do you help the foreign chef? To actually integrate with a local worker because I mean you got two chefs but you got the staff local staff but how do, how do you create a bridge between the two to make sure you know they can work quite nicely because I mean if they don't work nicely they will have direct impact into the customer experience of your restaurant isn't it yes of course now the thing is that this is this is how I, I always say like um, some, you see, like, uh, let's say a leader in a company. So you'd like to, you're the only teacher and all your stuff is like kindergarten <laughs> kids. Okay. <laughs> so the thing is that uh, with, with the Chinese chef, it's not easy to get rid of them, but then with the local chef, well, I mean, with the, yeah, it's a local staff and local chef. The thing is that because firstly, you've got to create an image. You, you have to let, you see, uh, the local guys, if they can see the Chinese chef and this guy has got something, which means that he's, he can perform, he can cook, he knows something. And you, when you get the right person to come, the person who's willing to learn, and then they can create the bond. Because you kind of, you take this person and you say, okay, this is a student 
that I found you. I wish you can teach you. And so it becomes like a, a teacher-student things. Mm -hmm. But then, okay. yeah, so, so you have to write, find the right person to be born, to, to get connected to, for them to born. Mm. But is a restaurant still running? The restaurant is still running, but I am no longer the owners because a couple of years ago, I have given up the restaurant. Oh, so what venture have you, what venture have you actually moved on to after you sold the restaurant? I went into production industry. Okay. After I sold the restaurant, I firstly, I went to, uh, let me see, actually a couple of things. I went to uh, um, a charcoal business. Okay. manufacture of charcoal business and I also went into uh, brick manufacture business mm. and then that, I also that is went... very interesting though, because charcoal and bricks and restaurant those mm -hmm. are three different business models basically so yes. how so how did you go through the transition from the restaurant into like charcoal and the bricks because I I believe, I presume there are different set of skills you might need. You, there are different type of resource you might need. So what, make, what made you move into like charcoal's business? No, because you see, it's all about friends. Now, after you got, I, I got sick of the restaurant because the restaurant is really long hours mm. and you don't get to see your, you, you don't get to see your kids and you don't get to get any time for yourself, right? And then suddenly I've got a friend coming to me and say, are you interested? I'm going to start a charcoal business. And then I say, yeah, sure. Then we went into business together. Mm. So then we had three, but then I had two partners. So basically it's all other people that came to you that offer the opportunities. Mm. So okay. and then you then I yeah then I went to the charcoal business. Charcoal business are not that much different from the restaurant. I mean you have to manage you have to but you, you have to go to the farm. You have to live in the farm, and oh, you, you will okay. you, yeah, because in the bushes because and you have to run uh, a staff of maybe approximately about hundred people because they that's have a to lot. Eh? And, that's a lot compared to the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Restaurant. I've got a staff about thirty. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, and then they, they had to go and cut out the, the the bushes, and then you know chop the bushes into pieces. And we 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 actually went to China. We buy these like a it they look like a rice cooker, but much much bigger. Oh yeah, I saw. So you those, had to. I saw those one actually. So those are the yeah, ones then, you, you smoke the wood basically. Yeah. Yeah, you smoke the wood. You have to cook the wood. <laughs> it's like it's yeah it's like it's like cooking rice but sometimes you like if you fall asleep and you don't watch out for the because we we use wood to cook the wood that's interesting you use wood to cook the wood so you don't actually use like you know you're not utilizing like electricity to actually power the so-called your rice cooker <laughs> yeah no no you can't use electricity you can't afford to do that because that's in the farm in the farm there is no power. You everybody use generators. Okay. 
Okay, so you use the wood to cook the wood. That's interesting. And then yeah. in that regard, right? So, so, so what have, I mean, what is the major difference between running the charcoal plant versus running a restaurant? Because restaurant, you got the, I've, I suppose it's more and less the same because you have a manager who actually managing the staff anyway. Mm-hmm. But founders, yeah, no, I mean, but the there's customer, a huge difference. The customer base is a slightly different because charcoal's customer base is almost like you open up to the public, basically. No, you see, we what we do is that we only do export, oh, so we don't okay. really sell them locally. Yeah, we only do export. We 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 export them to the Middle East. What do you do? Do you only manage the plant? Is a what you do? Uh, I only manage the the production, mm. the production line. Okay, was it fun? No, no, it was <laughs> not fun. Yeah, <laughs> because because you know what happened is that it's look the problem is that charcoal factory they it actually pollute a lot. There's oh. a lot of pollution, air pollution, oh, yeah? because okay. there's a lot of smoke. Mm -hmm. So every time. When I go into the factory and I come out with all the smokes and, you know, the, it got on my clothes and stuff like that, <laughs> it really, the smell is not, it's unbearable. It's not good, and I come out with, with, yeah, with my face black as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny, actually. Okay, so you move from charcoal into the bricks business. So how did, yes. you, how did you decide to move from the charcoal into the making bricks? Okay, the, the, the thing is that with the charcoal things, I also only done it for about, uh, not so sure, but like half a year. Oh, so uh, Half a year short. to nine months. Okay. Yeah, it was short. And then uh, we, the company has some problems. So then I, then I left the partnership mm -hmm. and uh, we move on to the new partnership again. Okay. So there was someone else, someone else that, came to me and say, okay, is you know, he wants to do a brick factory. So would, would, I, would I be interested? So it was also uh, a lot of, there were a lot of partners as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, like they were, uh, it was just not me. It was over my parents and it was also uh, two other partners that we were, we were involved in this, in a brick factory. But obviously with the brick factory, it costs much more money to set up the factory mm. because yeah because of the i mean the whole structure is different let's say the the machine that we, it's much more expensive as well mm. to manufacture the brick factory mm. and how did it go are you still running that or you also uh, no sold it no we were yeah i we were in there and we had to close it due to COVID. Okay, okay. So with all those business ventures you've been into, especially those ones when you involve multiple partners, what sort of lesson learned can you share? What would you do differently if you would have to do the things again? Firstly, never invest on a property that doesn't belong to you. Okay. Why, why, why would you say that? For example, uh, let's say the brick factory, for example. 
The brick factory, the land doesn't belong to us. We, we rent the land, okay? It was just, it was a, a, a small plot outside Bentuk. It was about uh, 20 something kilometer outside Bentuk. And so when we, when we uh, lease the rent, I mean, when we rent the, the land, there was nothing on there. So we had to build everything. So the factories, the office, everything we, we spend it, uh, I think we spend it like approximately about 30 million. Sure. Just to build up to the build infrastructure itself. In the infrastructure and putting up the, um, the machine. Mm -hmm. But eventually when we wanted to move out, there's nothing we can move out. Oh, that's not good. So you invest in it, but you can't take it with you. Oh, you can't even relocate. Yes. To a new property to continue the manufacturing. No, the only thing you can relocate, yeah. yeah, the only thing you can relocate is the machine. Yeah. Okay? But uh, even with a brick factory machine, that machine, it's not like a machine you can just put it on the floor. It needs to be built in. So to remove that machine and to re rebuild it again, firstly, there's a lot of parts that machine got loose. And then secondly, so the the machine will have a lot of problem later on. Mm. And it's a lot of hassle, a lot of money mm. that you need to remove the machine. Okay. Okay. So this so, is a, yeah, this is the first lesson that don't invest into yeah, don't invest when the property doesn't belong to you. Okay, what is the second lesson you have learned? Uh choose your partner very wisely. Yeah, I heard and it all it, the time, eh? not just from you, from some mm. of the, some of my networks, you know, some of the people who I have interviewed previously as well. Choosing partner is so yeah. important, but we would like to hear from your side. Why do you believe it's important? Partners, because, for example, all these partners that I've been with, okay, they are, in, in the beginning, they're not really in, they're not really my friend. They're actually a friend of like you know friend of somebody that i know yeah, yeah. and and somebody was saying yeah let's jo just join venture let's just go into partnerships but eventually once your money in and stuff like that then only you're starting to know the guy oh so okay. before yeah so so before it was just someone that random guy that you know of it's not like really close person that you know mm. so due to the partnership that you sl slowly you're starting to get to know the guy Mm. Then it's too late. Yeah. If he's not the right person. And that and I think that is so important. Is find the right partner. Because in my case, I can also share, you know, with you as well. Because I mean, for me, I have involved in quite a few different partners. I have a partner mm -hmm. who provide financial input mm -hmm. or in injection. I have a partner who actually provide the skill set, you know, they have a know-how. Yes. I have a partner kind of have both. But I mean, for me, what I would choose, for me, the number one is partner with both, you know, financial and non-financial support. Then mm -hmm. I will choose the second one as a partner who has a knowledge of how the mm -hmm. things work. My last selection will then be the partner with, we will just give the cash injection because ca cash injection is easy. You can get mm -hmm. cash injection in, but to make sure the business run as successful as the way it should be, it all depends on how you implement it. Am I right? So I think- and, in, Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. 
I totally agree with you. And and actually uh, personality. Mm. Because now you're going to the partners with, and you need to know your partner's personality. With this person, be faithful to your to our own business, or with this person, be reliable, and all that stuff you you need to know beforehand, mm. which I learned from my lesson because mm. before I didn't. <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. So you actually make you a better uh, business person going forward as well. What yeah. would be the last one you can share from your listening? If I would have to ask you, what would be the last things you would have to share? The last thing that I will share, let me think about it. Um, out of all my experience, money is important, but it's not that important in, in the total life. I think, I think being happy and doing the things that you really want to do, that's the most important. Doing things that you have the passion in there. Mm. I think the key word is passion. You know, if you love what you do, yeah. I mean, then you will, I mean, with minimum effort, you actually make the thing fly by yourself. You know? I think that is- because, uh, for, because, I mean, look, the things that I've been doing, a lot of things, out, you know, all the thing out online, you know, I have, before I, I was even uh, um, the PH. That's is called. What is PH? PH is professional hunter. Oh, professional hunter. Okay, I didn't yeah. know about that. Is this what you do yeah. outside work? Outside work, yes. Okay. So, so I mean, I I've done a lot of things. Like I've done. I've been hunter. I've obviously done restaurant and I've done, uh, you know, factory production work. And I've also sold cars, okay. secondhand cars. Yeah. That, you know, being, going through all that thing. Yes. Every time you learn something, mm. you know, it's interesting. It's something because they are, all those, they are totally different mm. from each other. Mm-hmm. And you learn and you meet a lot of people and you learn new laws. Mm-hmm. obviously when you but when you get into the trade you don't know anything about the trade that's yes. that's my problem every time i go into something i don't know nothing about it because i didn't even do re- market research because i didn't know how to do market research you are like a hardcore and you go there you learn your own way when you get out you yeah survive. i just go in you touch yourself go off, in. you move on <laughs> to next one <laughs> Awesome from Namibia. Thank you so much. And we wish you all the best for your future venture. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Hassan from Namibia. Thank you so much. Have a great day further. Thank you then. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.